Welcome everyone to episode two of season five of the Northern Spin podcast. My name is Michael Taylor. By day, I'm the editor of Business Desk in the Northwest. And here's my happy, clappy co-presenter, my fellow journalist, Chris McGuire. Sometimes I call him the cheeky chappy from Chorley, but sometimes also the banter king of Kent, the county of your birth. Chris, mm. which one Which one do you prefer? Well, I'm very proud of both, actually. I, I like to see myself as the humorous element of the duo. Um, I counteract your seriousness and your laborious tendencies as well. But I've got some good news, which you know I like. Uh, we were number 28 in Apple's UK's podcast charts for episode one of season five last week, which is good news. It is. We had a great response to last week's podcast with Joshy Herman, Yoshi Herman yeah. from The Mill. We've got another packed show this week, but it's just us two. No guests this time. Just to go through the news, we're going to keep it snappy. So... What do you think, people out there? Do you like us having guests? Would you prefer if it was just me and him? What else would you like us to talk about? Who should we grill? And what subjects do you think we should talk about? But Chris, what have you got on the agenda for us this week? Well, I do want to mention we did uh, enter the German podcast charts last week, which in itself is reason to, to uh, celebrate. So question number one, are the Tories crumbling just like rack concrete? Yeah, we'll talk about that. Michael Hesseltine backs more devolution and power for the regional cities. And we ask, is Tony Blair the most powerful man in the Labour Party? Could you imagine saying that in 2016? Absolutely. No. You know, what struck me is he's 70, Michael Hesseltine is 90, and you're getting these politicians who around for not just a generation but for more than that we've got our usual features on manoeuvres and anything to see here uh, where we'll give some insights on what we think is going on and we're also going to talk about the labour reshuffle and uh, why it's all about the north and not forgetting the cultural deep dive at the end of the podcast which we like to call the fun bit where I want some advice on moral guidance on my holiday plans and also we've got some other podcasts and film recommendations as well, and some uh, review of a great book I've read recently. But before all of that, a few thank yous, starting with our production company, What Media, who expertly produce our podcast every single week. They're the unsung heroes of the Northern Spin podcast, the kings of video content creation, and they did a sterling job last week of editing um, the audio on it, which I think they did a fantastic job of rescuing it after we were all over the place, weren't we? On <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I, the the uh, analogy I would use with what media is they are the parents to us children <laughs> and they keep us, and we've already been told off four times today, they keep us on track as well. I've got a big thank you to our sponsors, FI Real Estate Management. I went to FI Real Estate Management's headquarters last week at Botany Bay in Chorley, where they're currently building a £100 million industrial business park. It's situated next to Junction 8 of the M61. The first of 33 units will be available at the end of the year. It's absolutely fantastic. It's amazing. It's bringing businesses into Chorley and it's keeping businesses in Chorley as well. And um, FI Real Estate Management, they do operate across the UK. So whether you're a one-person operator or an enterprise-sized customer, FI Real Estate Management have the right space for you. And if you're looking for space, call Matthew Pickles. Oh, thank you very much, Chris. So let's start by talking about the crumbling Tories, Chris, and the rack concrete issue. Yeah. And I think the reason we're talking about this, because we touched on it last week, is it just won't go away. And I think the rack concrete is a metaphor for the crumbling Tory government. Now, I know for the purpose of this podcast, I'm supposed to play the part of the Tory and you're supposed to play the part of Labour. But but if you look at the last week, it's just been a disaster. I didn't think it could get any worse for the Tories in terms of rack, but they have this inability to nip problems in the bud. So as a consequence, stories run and run and run and they can't talk about what they want to talk about. So last week, Education Secretary Gillian Keegan did her very best thing Thick of an impression with her F bomb, uh, with her F bomb interview with Daniel Hewitt of ITV, and I just thought to myself, "Oh, for goodness' sake, she's supposed to be a politician. How naive was she?" 
Yeah, so she goes off camera and she starts effing and jeffing that why don't the media give her credit for what she's done and she's done an effing good job. Mm. Um, but I think you know the journalist in question, don't you, Daniel Hewitt from, from ITV. I like the fact that he goes to schools and hospitals and he interviews you know, people who are suffering, say, you know, people who are homeless, stuff like that. He gets to the nub of how politics intersects with people's lives, not just the kind of Westminster-y sort of stuff. And he's a good interviewer. He, 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 then no one ever gets an easy ride from him. No, he's he's very similar, actually, to Jen Williams in a sense that I think he he stands up for for for, for those people who maybe haven't got a voice. I met Daniel Hewitt uh, back in the day. Uh, I was shortlisted for an O2 award and he was shortlisted for four. He was working for ITV News Granada Reports and he didn't win a single one and at the end he actually treated it and took it in good uh, in good spirit um he, he actually won the royal television society specialist journal of the year in 2022 real talented guy he is a formidable journalist and um, i always try and work out when i speak to people what drives them what drives you what drives me and and if you want to see a little bit about what drives daniel hewitt he wrote this amazing blog about the death of his mother from breast cancer in 2014 we were talking off air about cancer earlier and she was uh, 56 and you really understand a bit about him and what drives him. Um, and, 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 but he is a formidable journalist. And that's why I think Gillian Keegan's faux pas was so embarrassing. There's so, a phrase you hear a lot about journalists, if I may, which is off the record. And, you know. Yeah, let's talk about that. Because maybe people who don't work in the media who, who listen to this podcast might want to get some insights from this. So you and I, we can't do our jobs as journalists without people telling us information that they that they think is important, that they know is going to be published, that they know that we're going to use it as information, but that we're, um, we have to treat that carefully and they, they don't want it attributed to them. Now, yeah. we're, you know, we mainly work in print, right? Yeah. I do a little bit of radio, some podcasting, but mainly we work in print. The difficulty is, is when people speak off camera. And was Gillian Keegan speaking off the record? It, it, was that the issue, do you think, here? Do you, do you think Daniel Hewitt breached some journalistic protocols there by revealing what she said or, uh, and making it publicly available, what she said off camera? Yeah, I, I mean, we'll talk off the record. I mean, you know, we have conversations when we meet up and we'll say, oh, you know, have you heard about such and such? Have you heard about such and such? We can't attribute that. That's just a, a conversation between the two of us. If what media decided to record some of the inane, banal conversation we have beforehand and try and sell it to the highest bidder, they won't make any money. Um, I, I felt with the interview that um, Gillian Keegan did, uh, I felt she probably felt it was off the record. Um, and you are right. You make a really good distinction between a, a recorded interview and a, an interview that we do where we've just got a notepad on our memories and they yeah. could turn around and said, we never said that. I'll give you an example. Andy Carter is the Conservative MP for Warrington South. Now he was part of the Privileges Committee that investigated Boris Johnson and kind of say, I thought he did a fantastic job as well. He got horrendous stick because of it. I was talking to him at an event I hosted last year and I said to him, uh, I started talking about it. He said, Chris, I just can't go there. Chris, I just can't touch it. You know, he wouldn't talk about it. Now but you were trying to press him on what was being discussed in the... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Adjudications around the privileges. Yeah, so I just wanted right. to just wanted to try and get a bit of an insight, a bit of right. a you know something that the ordinary Joe public maybe wouldn't have, and I can bring that into this conversation. Yeah, but he, but he just wouldn't go there. Really nice guy, Gillian Keegan. Um, she's from Knowsley originally, and she suddenly started reverting to uh, you know some fairly colourful language as well. Um, and it's just I think Daniel Hewitt was absolutely right to um, share that. I do think Gillian Keegan must have really annoyed uh, ITV because I don't think ITV would have published it. Uh, any other way. No, I, I think it was because of what she said, not about what had gone on before, because 
you know, she gives the statesman like answers, but actually to show their true selves and they've got that recorded, you know, she's unclipping a microphone and swearing and, you know, I, my, my wife said something fantastic. She just said, uh, I used to be a narcissist, but just look at me now. <laughs> you know, it really yeah. gave off those vibes. And that is telling a really essential truth that is in the public interest about what this government is all about and what their priorities are. And I thought that was that spoke so much about Gillian Keegan's ambitions and and, and the kind of frustrations and, and kind of whole sort of, that the, the machine is grinding to a halt at the heart of the Tory party. The only equivalent I could draw, Chris, and I'd be interested in your view on this, is, you know, when in this very studio, when we interviewed Andy Burnham, you know, we, we did, we carried on chatting afterwards after the, the guys at What Media were packing the equipment away. What if they carried on recording what he said? Yeah, I was. If I, I mean, obviously, if they want Andy Burnham's insight into Everton Football Club, um, <laughs> then then they could have it. I think the difference between Andy Burnham and Gillian Keegan, and and I for one have always liked Gillian Keegan. I think she comes across really well in interview. I think she makes a lot of her working class background. The point that you make is though the rhetoric that they were putting out about rat concrete and what she felt the moment the recording stopped was different. And when you're advising politicians or anybody, you say you've got to be authentic. Andy Burnham comes across as authentic. I'm not a laborish person. I'm not. That's not my background. But Gillian Keegan said one thing and then meant another when the cameras stopped rolling. That's yeah. why I think Daniel Keegan was spot on. I think the interesting thing would be if we liked somebody and they said something that we knew was explosive, would we cover it? Well, we're making we we'd make a calculation, wouldn't we? I mean, if we if we did that to Andy and just for the purposes of the record yeah. nothing that Andy said after we'd interviewed him in this studio would have was sensational in any way shape or form we actually just talked about what it was like meeting Pope John Paul yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Pope Francis didn't we yeah. mainly uh, and lots of other stuff and his daughter settling in at university it was nothing salacious <laughs> no. whatsoever but if we had he would never speak to us again he would never trust us again no other politician would think oh they're the guys that do the podcast where they stitched andy burnham up yeah and and we'd be absolute toast reputationally and i i take my own personal reputation really seriously i wouldn't do that but i think daniel hewitt made a real important calculation to say no actually the true face of what the government are and what they're like is much more important where i think labor have done a really really good job is they've uh, they've really up the ante in terms of their digital and their social media content and they've they've what they've identified is that they can actually trace back the rack controversy to Rishi Sunak. So they're now pinning it on Rishi Sunak, and 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 that's proving really uncomfortable for for Sunak. Yeah, um, it is. And I think we're going to see a lot more of this moving forward. It is. I think political campaigning one hundred and one, you know, in the actual playbook says if a message is working, keep saying it. Because it's only when the public say they're getting sick of hearing something from a politician that it means the message is really cutting through. And that this one is Rishi Sunak is so rich, he's out of touch. It's his fault. He's weak. And yet it, that, that's Labour saying, and here are more things which prove that point to be true. Uh, quiz question. Go on. Right. Okay. We've obviously got Rishi Sunak as the current MP, uh, the current uh, Prime Minister. How many living Prime Ministers have we got other than Rishi Sunak? Uh, Seven. Seven, exactly. <clears throat> which I is think, it? yeah, which I think is a record. Um, so it's a year. I said, I went early last week. I said it was our first anniversary of uh, the Northern Spin. It's not. It's this week, actually, because it's uh, it's a year, can you believe, since Liz Truss took office. Um, and, you know, she's uh, she wrote a piece in the Mail on Sunday uh, at the weekend. Boris Johnson's coining it as a speaker. Uh, and you also got Theresa May, who I've got a lot of respect for. She stayed as a backbench MP and uh, she loves it. And she's representing her constituents. Um, now, the reason I mentioned these former 
MPs is because I think the most powerful man in the Labour Party at the moment is Tony Blair. He's created the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change. This week, or last week, ex-Finnish Prime Minister Marina Sana joined the think tank. You recall, we mentioned her on a previous podcast. She was criticised, can you believe, for partying. She's in her 30s. Um, Tony Blair's Institute employs 800 people worldwide. It's expected to provide uh, staff and policy backup to the Labour government. If Labour, and it doesn't seem like if, it seems like when, when Labour win the next general election, Blair's influence is going to go off the scale. Now, do you think he's the most powerful man in the Labour Party? Well, I'm not entirely sure that the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change will necessarily be running the government. They, they tend to work a lot more overseas. Um, I've, I've not heard that. I haven't thought about it before. You might be right. I've, I'm not saying it isn't, but um, yeah, he is. He's, his influence is, is, is absolutely massive, not only on the current workings of, the, of Keir Starmer's office, which is ultimately where power lies, um, but also globally. So I, I know um, people who've worked there. I know people who still work there. Who we did some interesting collaborations with them when I ran the Metropolis Think Tank at Manchester Metropolitan University. And they do they produce really good insights and support for people in governments around the world. But the very fact that Keir Starmer is now clearly taking advice from Blair and sharing a platform with him is remarkable. So when I was more active in the Labour Party about eight years ago, being called a Blairite was literally an insult. The just And it was the justification for somebody being booted off a committee or stitched up out of a local party. The term dripped with implied meaning. It meant that you were pro-Israel, pro-Iraq war, you were an ardent Remainer, you might as well just go and F off and leave the Tories. It was pathetic, frankly. And even people like Tom Watson were accused of being Blairites, the deputy leader of the Labour Party, <laughs> even though when he was close to Gordon Brown, he literally resigned from the government of Tony Blair in order to get Gordon Brown into 10 Downing Street, which was just how hilarious all that um, uh, insults being thrown around became. I was subscribed to the TB Institute reports and newsletters. They are rich in insights and perspective. So I genuinely suggest that you get them. I should have worn my centrist dad T-shirt for today, shouldn't I? No, you could have given, done. Given all, given all this joy I'm throwing at Blair. Yeah, but one of the things is that, um, like Liz Truss, Liz Truss was absolutely castigated because she was taking all this advice, if you can call it advice, from Tufton Street, you know, this uh, dark sort of, you know, um, <coughs> dark think tank organisation in London. Where, 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 you know, politicians were meeting to come up with ideas and it was all, it was all done in the shade. What Blair, what Tony Blair is brilliant at, he understands the value of communication. I looked at um, Tony Blair Institute for Global Change's website. It's clear. It's to the point. It looks super professional. It should do. It's got 800 staff. This is what it says. This is a mission statement on its website. We help governments and leaders get things done. We do it by advising on strategy, policy and delivery, unlocking the power of technology across all three. And that is what is missing at the moment in terms of politics. And Blair yeah. gets it. You yeah. mark my words. You mark my words. He is going to be front and centre. Um, it'll be the Peter Mandelson, you know, of politics moving forward. Well, I think Peter Mandelson might have something to say about that. I do think there are two vulnerabilities with it all, though, Chris. One is where does the money come from? A lot of it comes from a, a tech billionaire called Larry Ellison. From uh, who had a business called Oracle, has a business called Oracle in the US. They throw a lot of money at the Blair Institute. And the other weakness is the governments that they've advised: Kazakhstan, Saudi Arabia, various repressive regimes around the world. And I think that's a vulnerability. And I think it's uh, it's something just to keep an eye on. I don't think Blair will be front and center. I think he'll be very much in the background. Yeah, I think you know overtly 
Avertly, he'll be he'll be in the uh, background, but I think he'll be uh, you know I think he'll be assisting Keir Starmer in pulling the strings. But let's keep it um, bang up to date by talking about last week's Labour reshuffle because we were recording last week and uh, we were watching our mobile phones as the uh, uh, as the announcements were being made, and it's very very big for the North, isn't it? And it came across very much as a serious Labour reshuffle. Yeah, it is. Let's talk. We'll talk a little bit more about Labour and the Blair influence in part two when we discuss on manoeuvres in particularly the northern angle to it. But just give us a recap, Chris, on um, what was happening while we were recording last week and where the key briefs have gone to. Absolutely. So Wigan MP Lisa Nandy lost a levelling up brief. That went to Angela Rayner. Uh, older MP Jim McMahon, as we called, stepped down as a shadow minister when uh, when it was announced last week. One name that's got a lot of airtime this week is Pat McFadden, which I think uh, you're going to talk about. He's going He's been handed a new role preparing for an election campaign. Darren Jones is the rising star of the Labour Party. He's got a new brief as well. And then promotions for Peter Carl, Liz Kendall and Jonathan Reynolds, who's the MP for Staley Bridge and Hyde, who's been given a larger portfolio in the shadow cabinet. It just struck me, it just struck me this was a serious reshuffle. And it, all the people in the key roles have been kept in the key roles. Yeah, they have. Yeah. Uh, the joke uh, doing the rounds amongst politicos is that not even Tony Blair had this many Blairites in his cabinet. But the thing that links them all actually is effectiveness and seriousness. Pat McFadden, a West of Scotland native, but the MP for Wolverhampton, held a cabinet office role in the last Labour government. He'll be running campaigns and working closely with Sue Gray, remember her? Yeah. To prepare the ground for taking over the machinery of government. Liz Kendall and Johnny Reynolds, who I've got to know both of them pretty well over the years, are very good at what they do and think very pr pragmatically. Liz Kendall moving to work and pensions, as we've heard. Um, it was interesting that Jonathan Reynolds' is brief now in includes international trade, which I think is about having a much closer match to what departments of state. It was a bit of a throwback before with um, the, the, the shadow briefs didn't necessarily match the government briefs. Also behind the scenes, the people who worked on Liz Kendall's leadership campaign in 2015, which yielded her less than 5% of the vote, Matthew Doyle, Morgan McSweeney and Matthew Folding are deep, deep inside Keir Starmer's office. These guys never lost the faith and they are absolutely determined to make up for the lost time of the Corbyn years. What do you think? Yeah, it's spot on, spot on. I mean, the thing is, is that it's easier when you're in opposition and you are in government as well. Um, but he's playing the long game, Keir Starmer. And he, you can see what he's doing in terms of, not just in terms of the people he wants in his shadow government, but in terms of the candidates who are standing for, for, for seats in the general election. He doesn't want trouble two years down the line or three years down the line because, and you mentioned it as well, Keir Starmer's not thinking about one term here. He's thinking about two or even three. Uh, and given the state of the country at the moment, he's going to need that. Um, now, we're going to hear something, uh, listeners, in a second, which, and you know, don't adjust your headsets because this is true. Michael Taylor is going to praise a Tory. Michael. I certainly am. So last week, my business desk colleague, Neil Hodgson, sat down with Lord Michael Heseltine, 90 years young. That's Michael Heseltine, not Neil Hodgson. And they spoke about regeneration and the whole Liverpool story, going back to the Toxeth riots of 1981. And Heseltine spoke really, really passionately about how it's important to hand back power to people at the level most appropriate. And he's a big supporter of regional devolution. And he thinks Steve Rotherham should be really on the front foot in the Liverpool city region looking for more powers. You know, let's not forget, Liverpool was on its knees after the Toxeth riots of 1981. It took several years 
for the city to, after a few false starts, for the city to get going again. But the momentum has been absolutely building ever since. With a bit of help from Europe, let's not forget, with the money that they got from what was called Objective One funding. They got the, the Capital of Culture in 2008 as well. But Heseltine's call for Steve Rotherham and the other metro mayors around the country to push for greater devolved power in all the northern cities speaks of an ever-confident, ambitious and responsible leadership focused on opportunity and not conflict. And isn't it refreshing to hear a Tory talking in such bipartisan terms about how to make the country better and thinking of solutions, not just on facile party politics. Uh, what I like about Michael Heseltine is just that when he goes to Liverpool, which let's be honest, they don't really open their arms to conservatives. They love him, you know, because he because he he has never he's he's always maintained that relationship with Liverpool and continues to do so. Well, that's what Neil put as a headline to the story, Liverpool's favorite story. Yeah. That's <laughs> true, isn't it? Uh, and on that note, we're going to go for a break. So I'm the executive editor of Business Cloud and Tech Blast. Uh, our strap lines are faster growth through tech and your launch pad for growth. We are business, we are tech, and every business is tech at the moment. So if you want to find out what's happening in the world of business and tech, come to Business Cloud and Tech Blast with first for news, insight, events. And we also publish our top 50 lists as well. So um, Business Cloud and Tech Blast, two names in the world of business tech that you can trust. Welcome back to part two of the Northern Spin podcast. This is the bit where we, we, we make the call, anything to see here. I'm going to start with Birmingham City Council, which has, in effect, been declared bankrupt. Chris, anything to see here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, councils can't be bankrupt, but they are as close to being declared bankrupt as you possibly can be, because obviously they've got certain commitments to, uh, to services to provide. Quick background, uh, April 2010, 5,000 mostly female council staff won the uh, their case for equal pay at an employment tribunal. Since then, the council's paid out almost 1.1 billion in equal pay claims, and right now has 760 million pound bill still to pay, which is increasing, listen to this, by up to 14 million pound a month. Now, it'd be very simple to say to yourself, hey, what's Birmingham got to do with the North? And, uh, and this is the reason why, is that Birmingham Council is Labour run. This isn't party political, but the Tories are trying to make it party political because evidencing Birmingham as being, you know, the reason why the Tories can't be, sorry, the reason Labour can't be trusted with the uh, economy. Just look around. Master Council is facing the prospect of its budget gap growing to £108 million over the next three years. They insist, it's worth saying, they're not on the same power as Birmingham Council. Last year, Liverpool Council reported a, seven, a £73 million black hole. And just go down the Pennines to Leeds. Leeds City Council facing a £70 million deficit within two years. Um, you're going to read a lot more stories about this and, and in the North. And I think the danger is, of course, that they'll start talking about service cuts as well coming up from the election. Yeah, they will. I mean, I worked in local government briefly for a year. And one of the things that's absolutely evident is the core business of local authorities is providing adult social care. That is paying for its elderly residents to be looked after in a safe setting. It also has an obligation by law to look after uh, the roads. It has an obligation to look after what they call looked after children. So, and unfortunately, this is on the Tories. Yeah, this is a symptom of austerity that actually if there are more people living in poverty, if there are more people um, suffering, then they are going to be turning to local services to be backed up. That's where you end up with kids in care. And it's not enough just to say, oh, it's because Labour have splurged a load of money on 
chocolate biscuits or going to Mipim and stuff like that. I think it's really cheap of the Tories to do this because this is not... This has been spoken about since 2010, since Eric Pickle started wheeling the axe on local government, that actually local councils have been facing a massive hit. It's happened in Croydon, which was Tory controlled. It's happened in lots of other parts of, uh, of the country as well. I understand what you're saying about social care and it can't be used as a weapon to, to beat uh, local authorities. But what you're going to find is that why did Birmingham City Council go out and host the Commonwealth Games last year at a time when their finances were a mess and they're going to get that level of scrutiny? And what I would say yeah. as well is that we give a lot of scrutiny to central government, but local government's going to come under a lot more attack at the moment. And if they can't defend themselves, then, uh, then, then they're going to become a political football. Um, hey, let's talk about science because we both love a bit of science. Were you good at science at school? No. No, I was terrible. Yeah. Um, but I've got one for you in anything to see here. So the EU reached a political agreement on the UK's participation in Horizon Europe and um, Copernicus. How do you pronounce that? Copernicus. Copernicus. Now, Copernicus, what was he? He was a Greek something or other, wasn't he? I don't know. Okay. Move okay. On, okay. On. Anyway, um, so you're thinking to yourself, hang on a minute, why are we talking about the EU reaching agreement with the UK over these various projects? Um, these are science projects as well. And these are massively important because obviously what you've seen is the uh, the UK sold Brexit as this fantastic deal and we're going to walk away from everything the EU has ever done. And they've, finally, they've suddenly realised, actually, we need to row back a bit. Sorry to sound like a stuck record, but this is Boris Johnson's terrible U, uh, deal with the EU unravelling before our very eyes. And to be fair to Sunak, one of the first things he wanted to do, because he's a realistic, pragmatic machine politician, he wants to put things right that are quite obviously wrong. So the first stage is getting the UK back in the horizon 2020 science collaboration program. There is no reason why Britain, uh, the UK can't be in it. Lots of other countries are in it who are outside of the EU. The next step will be things like the Erasmus program, which allows students to go and study in, um, in participating countries within the Erasmus program. It is a deal that can be done with the European Union that can be sorted out quickly. And then, of course, we start thinking, well, why can't international trade be better? Why don't we just rejoin the single market? I can't for the life of me think that the, that the vote in 2016 to leave the European Union was the full red meat package of leaving all institutions. I can't believe that it wasn't within the wit of our politicians to get together and come up with a better deal. Boris Johnson clearly didn't, and this is how it's shaping up. And I think it's the shape of things to come that we will indeed be joining all of these institutions again in time. Yeah, I think it's a, and well said, a point well made. I think it's interesting because like Rishi Sunak, I mean, a lot of people think that if and when he loses the next general election, he'll go out and live in the US and he'll become a, a voice for tech and a voice for science. He's, he's passionate about this and maths as well. Under this, under this deal that the UK have struck with the EU, British researchers will be able to apply for grants. As they'll they were always to, able to do. Yeah, yeah they'll yeah. be able to bid to take part in Horizon projects. You've only got to look across the north at the universities that we've got, the scientific research facilities, to see that actually this is this gives us a seat at the top table. And what it does do, it's an acknowledgement that Brexit isn't perfect. No, Brexit's um, rubbish. Okay, I've you got see Stephen Fry at the weekend. Uh, I heard Stephen Fry. Um, I heard Stephen Fry. I've got one for you, Carol Vorderman. Um, so Carol Vorderman has apologised. As we know, she's been particularly vocal on Twitter, very, very anti-Tory, um, holding the Conservatives to account, which I absolutely applaud. Um, she's been forced to quote unquote apologise to Greg Hans, who's the chairman of the Conservative Party, over claims that he was involved in a twenty-five million pound PPE deal. Anything to see here, Michael? That's right. That she's apologised if she if she was indeed wrong. 
Well, that's short and sweet. Yeah, I think um, I think what you're going to get right there, most of the time. Yeah, well, I think what you're going to get with Cal Vorderman though is you're going to get and you're getting more and more of these people are going to start saying things, and they're going to start you know throwing some uh, throwing allegations towards politicians as well. Um, they're not always going to be right, and I think that's where they've got to be super super careful. Uh, yeah. I don't think Greg Hands comes out of it uh, with any credit. Um, Let's talk about offshore wind projects as well. Once again, and people will say, what's that got to do with the North? What's that got to do with politics as well? But it's hugely significant. So no new offshore wind project contracts have been bought by developers at a key government auction. Now, this wouldn't have made any headlines on the TV, um, but this is a massive blow to the UK's renewable power strategy. Anything to see here? Yeah, it was one of our big stories on the businessdesk.com last week. We uh, wrote about this story, uh, as did lots of other news outlets. But the, the reason we did here in the Northwest is because a lot of these fields that big international Spanish, German, American, Swedish um, um, power companies were looking to bid, were looking at potentially bidding, were, were in Morecambe Bay in the Irish Sea. And um, the government statement, which frankly had Grant Nine Lives Three Names Shaps, his name written all over it, even though he's no longer the energy minister, saying, oh yes, well, this is all part of a similar trend of things that are happening in Spain and Germany. You only have to literally travel by boat another 20 minutes and you can see wind turbines going up on the Irish side of the Irish sea coast where they are building renewable projects, where they are taking advantage of the fact that it's a, a really good resource that we should be using in order to meet our net zero targets and in order to create green jobs. And there are lots of green jobs potentially in Lancashire dependent upon this. Can I ask you a question? And um, not not one that we've scripted or anything. So, you know, you're the editor of Business Desk. I'm the executive editor of Business Cloud as well. Um, I say to you before we come in, I say, what stories have done well for you this week? And we're just chewing the fat about what's gone and got, you know, what's done well and what's not. I could pretty much guarantee a story about no new offshore wind projects would be very difficult to sell in a soundbite on a story on business desk and to get big traffic. But ultimately, you know that that's a worthy story, which is the reason we're talking about it now. Yeah. So how much comes into your thought process? That's not going to fly off the shelves. We're not going to get loads of traffic on the website. We're not, but, but, but we're not driven by clickbait. No, we're not. But sometimes you have to put stories there that when it moves on and that you can link back to it and say, well, as reported in early September 2023, when the government said this about how much they were prepared to pay for megawatt of unit of electricity, you know, it's about moving the story on. It's about making sure that you're on top of it as it moves forward. Um, the big stories that do well for us are sport, but you know, we, we can't just do sport stories all the time because lots of people click on them. Yeah. It's about trusting our readers. The stories that actually do best are the ones that you do a bit of work on. Yeah. yeah, the ones where you speak to people. You know, our lead story on Monday morning this week is based on an interview that Neil Hodgson did with. The, uh, the manager of the Liverpool One Shopping Centre about how they're operating. I think it just says a lot about the changing retail climate and you get some really rich and good insights. Um, I did a story about speaking at an event with the Swedish Chamber of Commerce. That did good traffic because loads of people also shared it on LinkedIn. So yeah, it's different things. But yeah, I mean, usually it's the ones where you do a little bit of work. Yeah, I mean, there's one, because I do a bit of PR as well, but I did a piece last week about a company called Chemist For You, and they uh, raised 12 million pounds worth of investment from uh, a Bolton-based business called Petalia. You know, local story, absolutely flew, uh, but it went everywhere. Now, let's move on to On Maneuvers. So this is where we, uh, we uh, well, we're going to discuss Lisa Nandy and Angela Rayner, who've, uh, Angela Rayner's taken over Lisa Nandy's levelling up brief. Um, so questions, what's going to happen now to the Wigan MP? Um, what do you think about this and who do you think is on manoeuvres here? Yeah, the reason I wanted to discuss it in on manoeuvres is because I think Lisa Nandy is manoeuvring herself very skillfully as a result of this reshuffle. I think she anticipated it. 
She's highly intelligent and has, and has read the room really well. So she's gone quietly. She's not had a hissy fit like other colleagues have who've, you know, who's, who's left. Sorry, apologies. I shouldn't have said that. She hasn't had any kind of tantrum about it. She's very much decided that she's going to go with dignity. She knows that ultimately it's not about her. It's actually about finding a big job with a big brief for Angela Rayner, the deputy leader of the Labour Party, who ain't going anywhere, let's not forget. You know, because she is elected by the members, she is there. She is deputy prime minister in waiting. And... Therefore, it was about keeping Angela Rayner happy, using her best talents to cut through with working class voters in red wall seats. People like her in those places. She speaks their language. She sounds like one of one of them. That they, she will understand and have empathy for what their lives are like, that she's a straight talker. And I think it shows how seriously Labour is taking that agenda as we go into the general election campaign about how politics touches the lives of ordinary people. So I think it's a really good move. I think Lisa Nandy can do good things with her new brief in international development. I think she gets a lot of those issues. I think she sees the bigger picture. And and I think there's still a great future for her in, in Labour politics. Yeah, I, I'm, not, <clears throat> I'm not sure everyone likes Angela Rayner. Um, and, and you might say, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, but I'm not sure. And the Conservatives see her as a election strength for them. Um, I don't think um, I don't think Lisa and Andy was getting as much cut through on levelling up. And levelling up really lends itself to um, Angela Rayner's skill set. What I hadn't realised is that Angela Rayner's going around the UK in a battle bus um, to get Labour's message across, which I think, bearing in mind the election is probably a year out, I think that's quite bold. Um, but yeah, I think watch this, watch this, uh, watch this space. But you mentioned it last week. Um, you know, expect the personal attacks on Angela Rayner to increase. I don't agree with them, um, and I don't think she'll care too much because I think if she gets personal attacks, I think it'll just, uh, I think it'll do a lot for her. Yeah, you know, I mean, and, wise. I know you said that a lot of people don't like her, but I think it's it's which ones do, and it, and it's where that 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 ground on which the election will be fought. I think the people who don't like her wouldn't like anybody Labour, frankly. Um, anyway, so who have you got on manoeuvres? Well, I've got a name, actually. That I'll be honest, I haven't heard a great deal of. And then I, uh, I spotted him over the weekend, a guy called Nick Buckley. He's the independent candidate for the mayor of Greater Manchester in 2024. He is like um, he's like Lee 30P Anderson, but more outspoken. His latest tweet follows the ULES row, the ultra-low uh, emission zone. Uh, he's announced that he'll abolish clean air zones in Manchester on day one if he becomes a mayor. Incidentally, that particular tweet was retweeted by Matt Letizia, the outspoken former footballer. So I don't give it much credibility. Um, I think it's I think it's interesting though how independent candidates the only way they can make any noise is to say stuff which won't ever happen. Um, who's is he? Is he on manoeuvres? Do you think? Nick Buckley. Nick Buckley. I, I can I can call him up on the website if you don't know who he is. I know exactly who he is. I work with Nick. Um, <laughs> I think the hardworking phrase in that sentence that you quoted from him, when I'm elected mayor, yeah. you know, I want to quote Brian Potter at this point. <laughs> I want to moonwalk some, but life's a beep. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. He's like Lawrence Fox of Manchester. I'm, I'm not prepared to discuss him as a serious person on manoeuvres. Okay, right. And I think on that note, let's go to a quick break before we come back for the fun bit for part three. I've always believed that a vibrant media sits at the heart of any community and the business community is no different. So if you're in business, then the businessdesk.com is for you. We're up with the lark every morning to bring you the day's business news. We have regular events, credible news, and 
lots and lots of other events to bring people in the business community together. So log on now, thebusinessdesk.com for all your regional news. Welcome back, everyone, to part three of uh, episode two of season five of Northern Spin. Now, you'll have to forgive me, Michael, because um, I've, uh, I've, I've been meaning to ask you about this for a long time. You were blocked, uh, listeners of the show will know, in uh, season four that I kept asking you about Nav Mishra, the Stockport MP. For oh, some yeah. reason or other, he decided to block you. Are you still blocked? Um, so I'm blocked by Owen Jones, the journalist. Yeah, well, that's no great loss. Polemicist, yeah. yeah. Um, the journalist, Alan Nixon. He's blocked you. The stopped clock, as okay. we call him, amongst Blackburn <laughs> Rovers fans, because he's right twice a day, uh, at least. And let's have a look. Who did you say? Stop. Um, yeah, a guy called Nav Mishra. He's the MP for Stockport. Yeah, who was my election agent in 2015. Yeah. Uh, Nav. Has he seen the error? Oh, he's still blocked. Still blocked. Still blocked. Yeah. And obviously, a lot of people keep saying to me, how's Ben Blocker Houch? And I've just checked. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's blocked me still. He's blocked um, me as well. I'm yeah. also blocked, interestingly, by the former England cricketer, um, Graham Swan, right. for some reason, which I don't really understand. But, Is that a um, bit of banterish sledging that you could Yeah, I think it was banter because I don't do personal. You know, I don't. I don't do personal. But he, um, I think he's um, he's got quite a thin skin, I think. So, uh, okay. But anyway, that's that off the table. So we call this part of the podcast the fun bit, where I try to educate Chris, give him a little bit of cultural insights and uh, a bit more northernness. Um, but I also want some travel advice, which we'll come on to. Now, Chris, I spotted a tweet from John Shearhu, the crime reporter of the Manchester Evening News, and it sounds like he was reporting a crime. Yeah. which was, do you want to read it out? Yeah, I was dispatched, this is what John said, I was dispatched to Manchester Airport today to cover the nationwide hunt for the escaped terror suspect. Got the shock of my life when I had to stump up £20 for a, an escape of my own from the short stay car park at Terminal 1. I was only there an hour, 20 flaming pounds, exclamation mark. Now, I got stung for five quid for dropping relatives off at Manchester Airport recently. I was only there for a minute. I tried to park outside. These security guards literally jumped on me and said to me they were so officious i mean talk about a customer friendly experience not it's it's bad news from Manchester airport i know it sounds like a we, we, it could sound like fun but it's not 20 quid for an hour oh, we, we've done all sorts of cunning ruses on the pickups it's dropping off at roundabouts going to the petrol station the train station but honestly it's it's horrible isn't it it's trying to, the whole situation at Manchester airport um just while we're on the subject of the airport, on the business test, we've done a couple of stories about the airport recently, coming bottom of a couple of surveys, and they were really prickly about it. So we've had to, you know, take on board Manchester Airport's objections to the methodologies of the surveys. Um, and no doubt, obviously, they'll be saying that those surveys are fantastic when they when all their improvements which they've invested in come to fruit and that um, they do really well in them next year. Just for full disclosure, you know, I've been to Manchester Airport a couple of times this year. It's definitely getting better because yeah. last year it reached a personal low. I've also been to Liverpool Airport recently, which I think is fantastic. But I also, I was hit by really, really expensive short stay car parks. So it's just not unique um, to Manchester. But uh, what have you been watching, reading and viewing recently? Oh, loads of stuff, mate. So we went to see a band at the Bridgewater Hall on Friday night called Dex's Midnight Runners. I assume even you've heard of them. It's one for the kids, that is. Yeah, incredible. It was incredible. They did the whole of their new album, Feminine Divine, then a bit of a greatest hits for the second half. And I swear I had something in my eye as they belted out Gino. And I then, I then stood mesmerized for a beautiful rendition 
of a fantastic Irish ballad called Carrot Fergus. You've got five kids, right? Be honest. If you lined your five kids up and said to them, have you heard of Dexys Midnight Runners? Can you name one song? How many of them would say yes and I can? Well, all my kids would because they're really kind of musically literate. Yeah. And they probably named Come On Eileen, Gino and Jackie Wilson said. Yeah, Come On Eileen. I mean, that was a classic. Yeah. What have you been reading? Yeah, read it. I read an amazing book called Oh Brother by John Niven. He's one of my favourite novelists. But this is actually a memoir, particularly about his brother Gary, who died by suicide in 2010. Um, I met John at the uh, Manchester launch. Um, He doesn't block me on Twitter. He, in fact, follows me on Twitter. Does he? And thanks me when I... Alistair Campbell follows you. He follows you on Twitter. Yeah, Alistair Campbell. Yeah, we should talk about all the people who follow us, not the people who block us. Yeah. Positive. Positive. Well, well, uh, I watched Tehran, which is an Israeli spy drama about undercover Mossad agents operating in the Iranian capital, an Israeli spy drama on Apple TV. That was incredible. Anyway, my wife Rachel says to me, uh, I said, what do you want to watch on TV if we're doing a Netflix on a weekend? And she says, get me some terrorism. Is she? she does like a bit of terror and we we really enjoyed Fowder there was a another series by in, including the same actor um, that, that we watched as well called Hit and Run yeah. and so much so that we are fascinated enough that we are going on holiday to Israel now Rachel prefers to say she's going on holiday to the Holy Land and I must say when I was telling a, a Muslim colleague I did say yeah we're going to Israel Palestine for a short break to find out all sides of a complex situation. One of my sons is really annoyed with me for going. He thinks, he said, oh, hi dad, and how was your trip to South Africa in the 1980s? Yeah. Um, knowing full well that I didn't go to South Africa in the 1980s and wouldn't have done so either. Um, but what do you think? Do you think I'm, I'm wrong for doing my, that? My, uh, my father-in-law, who's a great guy, um, when me and my wife went traveling, nearly 30 years ago, he said, you don't know a place exists until you've been there, until you've seen it. And the thing is, you have a perception of what Israel will be like. We went on holiday this year to Crete and we were struck by the number of loud, uh, noisy, young Israelis. Um, there were loads. And uh, no, absolutely see it. Be racist. It. No, 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 they were just a... Uh, no, they were just, uh, they were just, because what people don't realize is how close Israel is to, to Crete and to the Greek islands yes, as well. True. So they, they use that as their yep. stopping off place for weekends. Um, but when you were in the swimming pool, you could tell, you know, they were so noisy. And I had a chat with them. Don't get me wrong. They were nice enough um, before you get me into trouble, which is what you're trying to do. But no, absolutely go enjoy it. I've watched a couple of programs on TV recently. It's interesting that you should say to your wife, yeah, you, but know, you haven't answered my question. I'm, I'm facing, you go to it? I, I've, yes, I'm facing a very serious moral dilemma. There is literally a, a massive campaign called BDS boycott, divest sanctions, yeah. which says people should not go and should not trade and should not buy Israeli goods because of their policy towards the Palestinians. And yeah. yet here I am booking a mini break to go to Tel Aviv. The, um, all my Jewish friends say, yeah, fill your boots, it's great. And they've you know, given me loads of tips of places to go. The, I mean, we've mentioned it. The, the problems in Israel under the, you know, the, uh, you know, the current prime minister are horrendous. You know, their approach to Palestine are horrendous. I'm not gonna go into a deep dive because I don't know it well enough. All I would say is actually, you know, you can comment from the outside uh, or you can or you can come from the inside. You know, I could liken this to the situation with the BBC going to Qatar to cover the World Cup last year. There was all this moral outrage about should they be there, should they not? And Gary Lineker said, look, you know, I will hold Qatar to account when I'm there. Gary Neville said the same. Um, I think you have to approach it with open eyes. What I would say, and you've always been somebody who pitched yourself 
not on a pedestal, but you've always said that you stand by your convictions and your beliefs. If you saw something you disagreed with, would you say something? And if you don't, you should say it when you get back. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I am going with an open mind and we are prepared to support Arab and Palestinian businesses when we're there as well. But do you, you know, see it as a holiday? Do you, do you see it yeah. solely as a holiday or yeah. do you see it as a, a bit of a fact find? No, I'm going on holiday. Okay. And I wanted to go somewhere interesting. Okay, no, it sounds yeah. interesting. Um, right, go on, give us a few podcast recommendations. Well, I also want to mention a little TV programme that I've started watching called Love and Death on ITVX. You mentioned that uh, Mrs. Taylor likes to watch a bit of a, uh, you know, a bit of terrorism. Uh, I like to watch true crime and uh, it's one for, your, one for the true crime people out there love and death really interesting that uh, enjoying that um i uh, yeah i listen to a lot of podcasts actually and a couple that i want to mention um there's a another true crime podcast called the smoking gun so it, it focuses on a murder every episode and there's one key item that could bring a killer to justice or can actually clear somebody as well and that's the smoking gun evidence that they focus on it's absolutely brilliant i also enjoy um, gary lineker's podcast it's a new one the rest is football i mean gary lineker's really reinvented himself with podcasts we've got this production company called goal hanger productions in reference to the fact he used to score all his goals in the six yard box this one is with alan shearer and mika richards the formula works really well as does so just quick one yeah, go on so how is it different from from them two and their laddish banter talking about football and who scored the most most goals on um, on match of the day two or match of the day or BBC stuff that they do together. Why is it different? Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of reasons why it's different. I mean, because he Gary Lineker tried to do a podcast with um, Baker. What was his name? The Danny Wolfgang. Baker. And, yeah, and that became too laddish. I didn't think it worked, and I don't think Baker added enough to it as well. So the formula they've got is they've got you know the three wise men. And, and 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 I will say they talked about the Lionesses in the World Cup as their lead item, you know. So they're making a concerted effort uh, to 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 and and they you know they also got speakers on to talk about that. Um, what they're doing is is they're looking at current stuff, um, stuff that's happened in you know the matches over the weekend as well. But they're bringing in personal experience as well. So you know when it was the transfer deadline day, they were bringing in stories uh, about their own experiences of. You know, being involved in a last-minute deadline on the last uh, on the date, what it's like playing international football, what you get from Gary Lineker, who's sixty-two. He talks oh, about see. he talks about his time at Barcelona in the eighties. You know, you you get Alan Shearer or talk about. Does his Alan life. Shearer bring all his medals on? He brings one. He brings his one. Thing is, Alan where, did he, where did he win the league? He won it at your team, Blackburn Rovers. Rovers. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Alan Shearer. Yeah, but he talks. He uses the F word a lot. Um, Ooh, but it? but it works. It really works. And and uh, Mika Richards, who, to be honest with you, and this is what I like about podcasts, you do see a different side to somebody. Okay. Um, Mika Richards is just funny, but he does provide insight. While we're on podcasts, we'll drill into this maybe a little bit more next week. But I did read a report in one of the papers that the viewing figures for the Sunday morning politics show with Laura Koonsberg have gone down. Now, that's not because of her taking over from Andrew Marr. It's actually because people get their political fix of news from podcasts now. I mean, like ours, but you know, there's lots of other ones as well, like the news agents and... And, and Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart's podcast and loads of others as well. And that actually is having an effect on the, the viewership of TV programs. The, that, that Interesting, isn't it? The, yeah, yeah, and I can well believe that because I think the days of really serious political interviews on a Sunday morning are over because politicians won't put themselves up to that level of scrutiny. It's also interesting, you mentioned podcasts, that Newscast, uh, which is a podcast that I enjoy, BBC with Adam Fleming, they've now made that seven days a week and the co-hosts on Saturday and Sunday is... Chris McGuire. And Laura Coonsberg, not okay. Chris McGuire. Um, so you're probably right. There's probably something in that. Very good. Right. That's all for episode two of season five of Northern Spin. If you want to sponsor the podcast, get in touch and join FI Real Estate. We're on Apple Podcasts. Please review us. Don't forget to press subscribe. Give us a review. 
share on LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever, or YouTube. Thank you to What Media for producing this podcast and to FI Real Estate Management. Special thanks to Elliot Taylor for his brilliant music. My name is Michael Taylor. And my name, as always, is Happy Clappy, the banter king of Kent, Chris McGuire. <laughs>